Good morning. It's uh, great to get to be with you, uh, digitally anyway, as we get to each week spend time in God's Word together. And so uh, it's still hard coming to grips with not getting to meet together physically as we join for worship. But we're thankful we get to meet in these ways. Uh, today it's a little different. Uh, this morning uh, I'm actually sitting out right outside the church uh, on the path that leads us back to the cross that's just right across from our church and our property that we own. And so uh, each week it's been kind of different. And so um, maybe this isn't the usual, but we're not really in a usual time. And so it made sense to come out here on a beautiful day uh, to spend time in God's word together. But let me pray for us and then we'll jump in and we'll get started. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to spend time together in your word, uh, to come under the the authority of the way that you've revealed yourself and who you are. We thank you. We pray that your spirit would move, that you would lead us, that you would teach us and guide us, that you would bring us into all truth. Uh, We thank you for this opportunity, and we pray all of it in Jesus' name. You know, every few years or so, a major publication like uh, Time Magazine or something of the like will, will publish uh, their list of most influential people. Maybe you've seen those those uh, uh, publications when they do that. And they'll talk about who the most influential people in history is. Usually they do like a top 100 list. If you've ever seen one of those lists or you've ever thought about it, you probably could come up with quite a few people that are on them. In fact, you probably could stop and, and think through the, the top 10 and, and get at least half of it probably by just thinking through uh, through history and what people have done and the strides they've made. Uh, in fact, if you're a big fan of, of trivia or Jeopardy, maybe you pause the recording and write down your 10 because I'm going to tell you what it says. But the top 10 list last time Time Magazine did it, as far as I'm aware, it was the last time they did it. Their top 10 was this. Number 10 was Thomas Jefferson. Number nine, Alexander the Great. Number eight was Aristotle. Number seven, Adolf Hitler. Six, George Washington. Five, Abraham Lincoln. Four, William Shakespeare. Three, Mohammed. Two, Napoleon. And sitting at number one is Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And if you take out faith, you take out just uh, belief as a Christian, and you look at it from a worldly perspective, I want you just to consider how remarkable that, that list is that you have a list of of presidents and military leaders and people that that conquered the world or great sections of it. And then right there, sitting at the top, you have a carpenter from the middle of nowhere in the Middle East. And he's undoubtedly the most influential man who ever lived. And so it's one of those things, especially if you're wrestling with your faith, that you have to come to grips with. Why is that the case? Some people will say, well, Jesus was a was a great teacher and a, and a great man and he taught us a lot and there was a lot of wonderful things he said but the idea that he's son of God is is a bit far-fetched it's kind of crazy I can't understand that and so people wrestle with that and maybe you do or maybe you would say you're a Christian and you believe Jesus is the son of God and he raised from the dead and he came to earth God in the flesh as we confess as believers and the fact that he's number one makes perfect sense Uh, to someone who believes that. To me, it makes perfect sense that Jesus is the most influential man because I believe he's God in the flesh. But wherever you fall in that continuum, maybe you do believe but you have doubts. Maybe you would say you don't believe at all and you think it's kind of crazy. Or maybe you would say you believe it firmly. But wherever you are in that, this morning I want us to spend time uh, in God's Word, in the Gospel of John, 
And we're going to think through this big story that comes to fruition in our text here this morning. There's some great big storylines that we follow through. And wherever you are in that, if you don't believe Jesus is who he says he is, or you do believe, uh, I hope that this either challenges you to think more deeply about who Jesus is. Uh, if you're a believer, I hope it greatly encourage you, encourages you and bolsters your faith because it's a really remarkable story of what God is doing moving through history. And so this is where we're going to pick up John chapter 19 and verse 31. Uh, if you've been following along with us the last uh, few weeks, we've been spending time in just the last few hours of Jesus's life and just focusing in on those very last moments. Last week, we looked at John uh, in, in chapter 19 when Jesus bows his head and he says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That's John chapter 19, verse 30. We're going to pick up directly after that. And what John tells us happened. And so John chapter 19, verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they may be taken away. And the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you may also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says that they will look on him whom they have pierced. And so here in our text, John points out some details that happened right after Jesus died and taking the bodies down off the, the cross and what was going on there. And maybe a cursory reading as you, as you look at that and you think, okay, well, what's the big deal? Uh, maybe that seems like insignificant details when you first read, read or you first hear that. But there's some strands here that run through the Bible that pull much bigger storylines together that are actually really remarkable. And we start to see these being resolved and coming together. God's plan that started before the foundation of the world, as the scripture tells us, are coming to fruition here. And there's a couple of really just incredible uh, storylines that come together about what God was doing here. And so one uh, I've done before. I've actually preached through a few times and, and I was looking back the last time was just uh, a few months ago. And, and you see that in verse 33 and then in verse 36 when it says, But when he came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And then verse 36, it says, For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And so what you have there in the, the grand sweep of redemptive history is Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there's so many similarities in the way God instructed them uh, to sacrifice the lamb and Passover and what that meant and all the symbolism that God was putting together for his people. And we see Jesus now being sacrificed as the lamb of God. And so we did that uh, sermon uh, just about six months ago. Just last year, we looked at the story of the lamb of God. And so we'll put that in the notes this week and in the, the link of the the podcast and, and online. And so if you want to go back and listen to the story of the Lamb as we unfold that whole sweeping narrative in Scripture, uh, I would encourage you to do that. 
But there's a second story here, and this is where I want us to spend our time to, this morning. It's maybe a little more obscure in this passage, but like the story of the Lamb, it's magnificent to behold the grandeur of God's planning and love for us. And so the story I want to tell today, uh, you see a remnant of it in verse 34. And in verse 34 it says this, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Now, that may seem insignificant. And, uh, of course, there's some very clear reasons why John is saying this and telling this. He, he's just pointing out that Jesus is fully man and that he was actually dead, that uh, he, he had not survived this. There was nothing going on here. Uh, some of the teachings and even in John's day that Jesus was just a spirit and he, he wasn't really a man and he didn't suffer in the ways that we would think. And they tried to reinterpret a lot of things based on their worldview. And John's just pointing out that's not true. Jesus was fully man, and he, he literally physically died. And that's part of what he's saying there, that he pierced him, and the blood and the water came out. But there's also some, some threads that are pulled together in the Bible that we see here that are so significant and so important. And so what I want to do today is, uh, this morning, just to tell you kind of this story uh, of the living water. And that's what I'm going to do is really tell you more in a story form than the way we normally just go through uh, an exegetical passage. It's a little different. And it's a grander sweep that's looking at uh, biblical theology that pulls together a lot of things that God is doing. And so it goes like this, the, the story of the living water. You know, when God created everything, the pinnacle of his amazing design was people, man and woman created in his own image bestowed with consciousness and the ability for relationship with God as well as one another. God made humans to love and walk with him first. And out of that relationship you would come relationships with other people. This is God's design for his children, to love him first and then to love one another out of that. It's the way we were created. But this story took a tragic turn when man decided that he did not need to have a relationship with God first. People instead chose to go it alone. That decision left everything else adrift. A broken and futile world uh, filled with struggle was suddenly the opposite of all that God intended for his creation. Difficulty and death would be the inevitability uh, that you would see. Instead of beauty of a trusting relationship, people chose self-reliance. People put themselves at the center. I can do it. I don't need your help, man cried, with no wisdom or foresight or knowledge. Much like a child that tells his parents, I know how to do this, when they obviously don't. This rebellion bred struggle, and with that struggle came a crushing weight to, the man, uh, to man that he had not anticipated. We could not hold up under the pressure to find our meaning and purpose apart from God. No one purpose or no one person, no one thing can meet the deepest need that comes in a trusting relationship with the Creator that we were made for. It's like trying to fill an ocean with a garden hose. It's woefully inadequate, and it was never meant to be that way. And so those results can only be frustration. The same futility from that broken relationship takes a massive toll in the physical world as well. Difficulty in work, disease... Uh, viruses that spread throughout the world, aging and all its harsh realities, and ultimately death, all came from that rebellion. 
All the natural order was upended and the day today became a futile fight against the progression. In the physical world, our needs rule. And so we struggle with that. We need food. We need shelter. Uh, We need water. We need the essentials for living. And without those things, we're in trouble. When you're deprived of them, your body even lets you know. Right? Without food, you can go a month. Without water, a week. In much this same way, Scripture reveals that our greatest need is a relationship with God. We do not exist, not really, apart from Him. Without water, our bodies simply will not survive. Mild dehydration will produce uh, dry skin, loss of appetite, thirst, fatigue, uh, chills. Uh, A longer period without water produces headaches, nausea, increased heart rate, muscle cramps. Our body will let us know in very physical ways that we cannot live without this. When you reach severe dehydration, it's critical and it will begin to cause confusion, difficulty breathing, dim vision, vomiting, chest pain, and eventually unconsciousness. Because simply put, we cannot live without it. And just as we cannot physically live without water, we cannot survive without God. Psalm 104 says, When you hide your face, they are dismayed. And when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. We exist because God says so. Scripture tells us that God is that deeper water, that true water, the one that provides himself for us literally and figuratively. In Exodus, as God rescues his people, the Israelites, and he calls them out from slavery, brings them out from under the Egyptians, he leads them out through the wilderness. And among other things, God's teaching them to trust him and how he will provide for them. Now, despite his miraculous rescue, despite his continual goodness to them, the people continue to forget what God has done. In Exodus 17, they are wandering in the wilderness and they begin with what will become a very familiar pattern throughout Exodus and their wandering. They grumble and they complain and then God provides. They grumble and they complain and God provides. And then they grumble and complain. And on and on it goes. And then finally, in chapter 17 of Exodus, they're thirsty and they're unnerved and they cry out for water. The more thirsty they get and the more negative they get, the more aggressive they get. And it's not a pretty picture. But finally they cry out and they say, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so they cry out. And exasperated, Moses calls to God and says, What do I do with these people? How should I uh, answer their complaining and grumbling? And God says, You go to the rock at Horeb. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out, and the people will drink. And so Moses did, and God provided, and the people drank freely of God's gift. Now, despite doubt, despite grumbling, despite complaining, and even outright rebellion, God graciously meets their needs. We're no different today. We turn to alternatives away from the living water, that relationship with God, and our lives become a little less and less for it. We grumble, we complain, we rebel, 
We fill our time with different pursuits and distractions that offer very little meaning and often leave us dry and thirsty. A conversation I regularly have, uh, and if I'm honest, I, I have it with myself from time to time as well, reminds me of this. And the conversation goes something like this, or some, some form of it. I'm struggling with my relationship with God. It feels distant and cold. So I ask, are you spending time in God's Word? Well, no, not really. Uh, are you spending time in prayer? No. Are you spending time in community with other believers, encouraging one another in your identity in Jesus? No, I'm not. So you're dying of thirst, but you refuse to drink. Like the Israelites in Exodus 17, it isn't so much about the physical as it is about the spiritual. We forget God. It's everywhere in Scripture, and it's everywhere now. We still are dealing with the exact same things. And so God will send prophets to remind His people in the Old Testament, and they will come and they will uh, remind them that they need the life-giving, life-saving drink, the living water. Uh, the warning in Isaiah chapter 1 is the people are rebelling against God and God speaks, For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. Or in Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, the analogy gets pushed further and becomes even clearer. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God makes clear that not only is He the living water that supplies our deepest needs, but no other option can ever fill that void. We cannot produce our own water, be it in a relationship, be it in a job, be it in entertainment, in our family, our loved ones, none of it. We don't have the ability because we weren't made that way. The depth of meaning is fully felt, not just in the Old Testament, but as we move to the New Testament. And we see Jesus meet a woman in Samaria at a well who's literally seeking water. Now, he knows everything about her, including the fact that her uh, relationships, which all six of them failed marriages, will never fill the void. And he tells her this, everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. That water will give him well, that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He is the water that she needs. In John 7, as Jesus' public ministry is starting to grow to a close, uh, Jesus walked into the crowded temple courts at the Feast of Tabernacle and he stood up and he cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. We want to quench ourselves in every way other than the way God has called us to. We have tried and failed, and we have grumbled and rebelled. But Jesus comes to offer a way back to the fountains of living waters that truly satisfy the relationship with God that you are created for. John tells us uh, in, in John chapter 7 what Jesus 
meant when he said, whoever believes in me and out of his heart will flow this uh, rivers of living water. It's the same thing that he meant when he said to the woman at the well, the water I will give you will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He says he's talking about the Holy Spirit. God's present with us, presence with us, and in us that is given by faith through grace in the finished work of Jesus. Though Jesus said it at the at that moment that it had not yet come to fulfillness or to fullness, yet because he had not been glorified. And so even though he's calling them out to it, John says, the fullness of it had not yet come because Jesus had not finished his work on the cross. The glory would come when Jesus chooses to lay down his life. Whenever John talks about it in his gospel and he says it over and over, he's not yet glorified. It's always pointing ahead to his death. And so that brings us to John chapter 19. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, the church that he helped uh, start and now they're struggling and he writes back to encourage them and he tells them this in chapter 10. And as, as he's talking about their forefathers who were wandering in the wilderness. He says, Our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And what Paul says, and what Scripture tells us, is the rock that uh, Moses struck in obedience to God, and as water came out and fed the people, the water that was provided was Jesus. The only source of life-giving water is the creator of the universe. Without him, we are confused, we are in pain, we have dim vision, and and we even become unconscious. Without him, we will die. You shall strike the rock, and water shall come out, and the people will drink. And then in John chapter 19, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. When the people cried out in the wilderness, God provided a way and commanded the rock to be struck. And when we cried out in our sin and separation, God provided a way and commanded again the rock be struck. And he died, the death that we could not, and he provided the water that we did not have. Come to me, all who are thirsty, and drink. So like we sing so often when we get to gather together, rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath, and make me pure. You and I have a thirst that can and only will ever be satisfied by the one who created you and holds you together by his power. We have all turned our back and we have all struggled to find meaning and purpose and we have all looked for it in different ways. But only Jesus is the living water that can quench the deepest thirst of your soul and your life. And in here, when they pierce his side and the blood and the water pours out, it's finished and he's done it. And now this living water wells up inside of us by grace, through faith, the Spirit given to us, in us, and with us, and all things. And so our world is struggling, and we are looking at all different sorts of ways to try to pull things together. We are going about uh, 
to all sorts of different wells to try to drink, to satiate our thirst and calm our nerves and pat each other on the back and it's going to be okay and we've got this and it's all together. The current situation and climate doesn't change your heart. It just reveals it. And so as we struggle right now in a situation that none of us has faced before, it's certainly new. Don't lose sight that the only way that you will ever be completely satisfied is in Jesus and what he's done for you. He alone is the living water that can satisfy your every thirst and your every need. Friends, Jesus loves you. He's in control. He has got us in the midst of this. Uh, I'm excited about this week as we will uh, get to spend time thinking about the, uh, the crucifixion on Good Friday and the great celebration of what Jesus has finished and done for us on Easter. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you uh, that we can meet, even if it's only like this right now. Uh, We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that uh, what you've done for us is far beyond anything we could ever imagine or, or even ask. We thank you that you meet our deepest needs. I pray right now that we would drink deeply from the fountain that can only ever satisfy us which is you Uh, I pray that we would use this unique time and season to spend time in your word to spend time uh, in prayer to spend time uh, uh, on the phone with one another and encouraging one another pointing each other to the only thing that can satisfy us and that is you Uh, we thank you and we pray all of it in Jesus name Amen